Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom. My name is Ephraim Judah with Line of Land Ministries, and thank you for joining us for, once again, our Arab Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai It is September 6th, and uh, we are here each and every week, each and every Sabbath, uh, to minister to you as you invite us into your homes, uh, whether that be through uh, Facebook Live or our uh, mobile app or on B'nai We thank you for inviting us into your home to be a part of this service where we set apart the Sabbath, where we worship the Lord together and hear from the teaching of the word of the Lord. If this broadcast ministers to you and is a blessing to you, we always ask that you prayerfully consider uh, making a donation uh, to uh, help keep this broadcast free to all the people that uh, it ministers to. You can go to llgive.com and you can uh, make a donation there. We also have a special uh, product offer going on right now. You can go to that website for details where we will send you a free teaching uh, with a donation of any amount. So we thank you for that. Um, once again, we are looking forward to uh, the Feast of Tabernacles that is coming up next month in the month of October. And uh, we still have tent sites available. Our RV sites are uh, filled up for uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. But if you still are considering uh, coming to Chandler, Oklahoma to worship the Lord with us for that appointed time, you can go to tabernaclesevent.com. Registration is still open there. And uh, we look forward to meeting all of the brethren uh, that come from all over the world to uh, celebrate with us uh, as we worship the Lord at the Feast of Tabernacles. Once again, thank you for joining us for this Arab Shabbat broadcast. Now, let us set apart this Sabbath with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom. We're the Judah family and welcome to our home. Please join us as we usher in the Sabbath. commandments and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush blessing over the cup. 
Baruch Hatarunai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Pri HaGahafin Amen Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Now the Hamotzi, blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem in haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. (laughs) Husbands, let's bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our wonderful wives that you've given to us, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for beautiful wives of Proverbs. Thank you, Lord, for my wife and the blessing that she is to our home and to our family. Bless her, encourage her, and strengthen her as she teaches and educates the children, as she wakes up in the morning to take care of them and see about the ways of the household. Father, I thank you for the wonderful blessing she is to me and to our home. I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her and pour out your very best blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. So we love you and bless you and thank you for all of these things, Lord. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. Now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. (laughs) Now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu et Arunai Hamvorach, Baruch Arunai Hamvorach Leolaham Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha, Baelim Adonai. Micha mocha, nedahar bachodesh, nohorat echilot,
Doing wonders, O Lord, who is like you, O Lord? Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu et derech ha-Yeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et hashabbat, la'asot et hashabbat, ladrotam barit olam, b'nei ovayom b'nei Yisrael othi le'olam, keshashet yamim asadonai et hashamayim v'et ha'aretz v'yom hashavi shavat v'inafash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kivod Malchuto, Le'olam Vayed. Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai Ochecha b'chol levavcha uv'chol nashicha uv'chol meodecha Veheyu hadevarim ha'ale asher nechim ezavcha hayom alevavcha. Veshinan tam lavenecha, vedepardabam beshiftecha, beyetecha, uvlechtecha, vederech ushakbika, uvkumika. Ukeshatam la ota yadecha, veheyu la totavolt binenecha, uketavtam la mozuzo betecha, uvisharecha. All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. Let's open with prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to gather together with friends and family. Father, to come together and worship you as like-minded brethren, Father. That we would just come, that we would acknowledge what you've done in our lives, that we would put you first, Father. That we would love you with all of our heart, Father. Teach us those ways, Father. Let us love our neighbor, those here, those not, Father. Just teach us how to be what you want us to be, Father, as a community and as... As believers, Father, we just thank you so much. goodly thy tents, O Jacob, thy tabernacle 
rejoice. Oh Israel, rejoice. Oh Zion, rejoice. For the Lord your God has made you his. Spin around. Israel rejoice, O Zion rejoice, for the Lord your God has made you his delight. Rejoice, O Israel rejoice, O Zion rejoice, for the Lord your God has made you his, has made you his delight, has made you his delight, has made you. to the book of Deuteronomy uh, to chapter 16. Hold your finger at verse 18 where our Torah portion will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, I will do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher barchabanu mekol haamim Benetan lanu et torato Baruch atah Adonai nonten haTorah haamein Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is entitled Shoftim, which means judges. Uh, here we receive the commandment, uh, through Moses uh, to the children of Israel as they are going and ready to go into the promised land. They're going to uh, dispossess all the nations that uh, are in the promised land at this time. They're going to go and they're going to establish the kingdom. They're going to establish the kingdom of Israel. And we have taken this entire uh, group in a kingdom of slaves, turned them into a kingdom of priests who worship the Lord, who follow law and order. And when they go into the land, there is more commandments and instructions for them them to behave and to operate uh, there in the land. And that one of the things that they have to do is they have to establish law and order. And they do so by establishing judges. Judges who would be counselors, who would be leaders, who would be people that if you had any issue in your day-to-day -day life, 
that you needed counsel on, that you needed a ruling on, that you were to go to these judges and they would give you a ruling, a just ruling. This is the same thing Moses did uh, in the wilderness when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. They went to Moses morning, noon, and night, basically, to have him preside over any issues or matters that arise in the camp amongst brethren. We know that Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, showed up and he says, Moses, what in the world are you doing, man? You've got to appoint other leaders to answer these questions and that you have captains of tens, captains of hundreds. And if there's ever a matter that one uh, leader can't uh, solve, that then elevate it, take it to the next leader, or to the next. And that Moses, you only worry about maybe the, the, biggest, the, the biggest issues that need to be resolved. And those should be the only ones that you reside over, uh, preside over and uh, everything else should be able to be taken care of on their own. This was good counsel, and they established that in uh, the children of Israel as they were in the wilderness. Well, God's now commanding them when they go into the land, you need to establish the same level of order. It says here at verse uh, 18, let me read here a couple of verses. You shall appoint judges and officers in all of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Here, very, all of this makes perfect sense. I mean, for somebody who lives in a country with law and order, with rules, uh, with laws by which you break the laws and you uh, receive punishment if you do that, the, all of these words make perfect sense. Yes, appoint judges, officers, people that will preside over, will take care of any issues. They come up and they may they be of good rapport. May they uh, judge everything with just, righteous judgment that they will decide what is right, what is fair, what is appropriate, that they're not taking of bribes, that they, won't, they don't become corrupt. But unfortunately, in the rule of law, that is exactly what happens. If you think about it here in the United States of America, there is, it seems like you know, every once in a while you have some sort of uh, news story break where you find out the corruption that is within the rule of law, whether it's corrupt police officers who are, who are committing crimes, even though they're the officers that are supposed to uphold the law, they themselves are breaking the law, or judges that are bribed or blackmailed or threatened so that their judgment then no longer becomes a righteous judgment, but one that is skewed, one that is influenced by some other factor or some other spirit. And this is something that has to be avoided. That is against the law of God for there to be corruption within leadership. Now, obviously, you watch any politics in this country, and it should make you sick to your stomach to think about the corruption that is in this country with political leaders, uh, congressmen, uh, all the way up to the top. You know that there's so much money that is driven by any decisions or laws that are passed, and the corruption should absolutely make you sick. Well, there's a reason for that. is because the spirit that dwells inside you is opposed to that type of sin. It's commanded here in Scripture. That that sin is inappropriate. It is not right. It is not appropriate. Those that are judges, that are appointed to be judges, must know the instructions and must know the law that is being administered. 
the Hebrew word there, shoftim, for judges. The, Hebrew, the root word of that is shafat, which, is, which basically means judgments or, uh, or, or, or a judge. And then the other root or related word to that is the Hebrew word mishpat, and that's what are judgments. If you might remember, we had a Torah portion called mishpatim, which mean, meant ordinances or judgments. And so your shoftim, they administer mishpatim, which are judgments. They must be familiar with the law. They must know it inside and out. That's why judges have to have all of the law books in there to know what are the correct, appropriate judgments. So anybody who is appointed to be a judge has to be familiar with this, with this law. The law that's here in Deuteronomy, all those words, the Mishpatim that are back there in Exodus chapter 21, all of those things must be followed and that you must know those things. Also, something I love pointing out that's very interesting is it says that they are, the judges and the officers are appointed in all of your gates, the gates of the city. Now, one of the people might ask, well, why do you have the judges? They sit at the gate of the city. Well, that's where all the people are coming and going. Everybody, had, whoever had to walk or move about, they would pass by the gates. They would, if they were leaving the city, the, whoever are the judges or the officers would know who's in the city, who's not in the city, and all those different things. Plus, it was a central place. Everybody knew where the gate of the city was. We're going to always go there to meet with the judge if we needed any sort of judgment. I might also remind you this. What else was there at the gate of the city? That would be the mezuzah. That would be the words of the law that was actually posted on the gate of the city, as commanded earlier in Deuteronomy, that those words were there so that we might know what law we are following. So that the judge and the officers, that they might be reminded, wait a minute, I'm here, I'm now in a position of judgment, I get to sit here and I get to preside over all of these people, I'm going to go and I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to preside over this judgment with my own decisions. No, if you look over the, the marker that determines what, who the city belongs to, what God we worship is hanging right there at the post of the gate. And it says, no, that's the law that we're going to follow. We all have heard the law. We all know what the law is, and there's the sign of that we are going to follow the law, and we're going to speak of them when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, whenever we're meeting with the judge, we're going to talk about those words, those laws. That's what we're going to follow. So that's why all of this took place at the gates. Now, one of the things that we have to point out also is that, yes, they're supposed to judge with just judgment or righteous judgment. We also have to point out in verse 20. Now, my New King James here says, and you heard me say, you shall follow what is altogether just. Well, that's a good try on trying to translate really what the scripture is trying to convey. When a literal translation, uh, translation of that uh, of those Hebrew words is zedek zedek tiradof, which basically means justice, justice you shall pursue. That is the literal translation of those words. Zedek zedek, but a, the same word is said twice. Zedek, which means justice, it also is often translated in Scripture as righteousness. And so when you see that here in the Hebrew, you might think, wow, God's really being really redundant and really hammering that home. Well, no, every Torah teacher worth their salt points out the fact that those two words, even though they says justice, justice, you shall pursue, they actually have different meanings, different meanings as to each one and why it is listed twice. 
And the, and the basic teaching is this. Justice is something you are to pursue. You're supposed to go after and you're supposed to find the guilty and you're to punish the guilty and to let the innocent go free. Well, we, to administer justice, uh, how are we going to go about and administer that justice? Well, when you go and administer justice, you are to do it in a just way. You are supposed to use the principles of justice to administer justice. You can't just go uh, and, and arrest everybody. That, that's the thing that if, you, if your whole goal was to arrest the guilty, I got a really simple solution for you. Just arrest everybody. I guarantee you, you'll get your man. The man who committed the crime will be in prison if you go and you arrest everyone. Obviously, in a law or in a, uh, a system where everything is righteous and just, uh, that would, of course, not be fair to those that did not commit a crime. So there is another level of justice that has to be administered. Not only must the guilty go punished, but the innocent must not be punished. That's one way to translate it, and that's one way to look at it, that one justice is for the guilty, one justice is for the innocent. The other thing, and the other way to sort of describe it and to teach it is this, is that you should go through the proper, righteous uh, channels by which you do the investigation, and by which you administer the justice. Now, this is what we call due process. This is what we call uh, following the proper order of things. One of my favorite shows watching uh, when I was growing up and still to this day when I see it in syndication on reruns is, the, is Law & Order, the original one, not all the alphabet soup ones that came afterwards. The early Law & Order episodes I always thought were fascinating. There was a great show. The whole first half of the show was always about the uh, police officers, the detectives investigating the crime, which was usually homicide. And it was then they, they would arrest somebody or they'd do their investigation and they'd get their man. And then the whole last half of the episode usually was about then the trial and the process by which they prosecuted the defendant, the one who was on trial. And sometimes they would sort of intermix. There would be evidence that would come up uh, that in the later they would need to do more investigation. In fact, the most compelling episodes always had this particular thing happen. They got the guy. They arrested the guy. And we know without a shadow of a doubt, you, the audience watching it, know this guy's a scumbag and this guy committed the crime. But you know what happened was is that a piece of evidence, the smoking gun that convicts him of, of – that makes him guilty – is dismissed in court. It's expunged from the record because the police officers in their heat and zeal to get their man, they cut some corners. They did an unlawful search. They did a search of a car or of a building without a search warrant. And you knew as that was happening, you kind of, as the audience, you might say, oh, that might come up later. And sure enough, there it comes up. The, uh, the defendant, their lawyer, they, they basically make a motion to dismiss a piece of evidence because it was an unlawful search. They do the investigation. Sure enough, the detectives cut the corners. This is the kind of thing to where justice must be administered, but you must do it in a righteous and just way. The police officers have to follow the rules in the, por in the course of investigating the crime, in the course of uh, obtaining the evidence. If you don't, then you're going to run into some problems. And the great thing about that show always was that there was times in which guilty men uh, went free because of the, it was it, it did the court case. The, the officers didn't do what they were supposed to do, and somebody went free because of it, or... 
that sometimes they arrested the wrong guy because more evidence would come or a confession would come later. And that was always very compelling because the good guys didn't always win in, in that show. But it was a great example of pointing out, if you watch that show or if you've ever been a part of a court case otherwise, hopefully not, uh, to understand the righteous due process that is due in the course of administering justice. And that is biblical. That is exactly what this passage is all about, where it says, justice, justice, you shall pursue. In fact, if I'm really reading it in my own, uh, in my own mind, in the EAT, Ephraim's Amplified Translation, I like to read that verse and say, righteous justice you shall pursue. If that might clear up perhaps some of those, uh, some of that confusion when that same word Zedek can be translated as righteousness and justice, that you shall do justice, but do it in a righteous way. Do it right. Do it appropriately. Do it without a bribe. Do it without, um, without targeting or stereotyping a certain person or framing somebody for a crime. No, we're going to do it right, righteously and appropriately. The Messiah spoke uh, several times about uh, just, uh, judgment that is ever placed upon someone. And uh, we have the very famous phrase in Matthew chapter 7, which I actually want to go to and talk about. In Matthew chapter 7, when the Messiah is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, uh, starting at verse 1, it says, Judge not that you be not judged, for, what, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I. This is the uh, very famous phrase. I mean, even atheists will quote this one that, that Jesus said at some point in time, where he said, judge not lest you be judged. The problem is, is that we often take that term and take that phrase and we sort of lay it over everything to where it's all like anytime there's ever any type of judgment that would come upon you that you might throw back and say, well, no, judge not. Judge not, lest you be judged. Well, you can't really say that to officers of the court. <laughs> if you end up in a court case and the judge basically makes a ruling on you, I might recommend that you don't quote this back to him as to try and get out of any sort of judgment that is coming upon you. No, this had to do more with the, those that are doing the judgments, those that are passing the judgment, who are in a position to make judgments and to, of course, do so once again in a righteous way. In an appropriate way, do not have different weights and measures for the way that you would judge someone else. This is the warning to judges and also to uh, politicians and congressmen to not create laws that only apply to certain citizens and don't apply to yourself. If there is a, some sort of law that, they, that, that, that politicians want to set for the common man to have to follow, but then they set the law to where they are, uh, they themselves, the congressmen, who also are citizens of the United States, uh, but they don't have to follow those laws, that is absolutely against the scripture of what it is to be in a position to make judgments or to pass laws. Whatever judgment you use to place upon somebody else, it should be this equal weights, measures, standards, and conditions of that law should be applied to you as well. That's what the Messiah was saying here. 
how you will be judged, it will be measured back to you. And so you sit there and you got somebody who's in a position of judgment. They're as corrupt as the next person. They're, in fact, more corrupt than your average uh, citizen. And they're the ones with a log in their own eye pointing out the speck in someone else's. This obviously is a hypocrite. And that is exactly what the Messiah was speaking against as well. Anyone who's in that position should use just judgment. Now, uh, if we continue on with some of the other instructions that are happening here, it, it elaborates further on how to receive more of these judgments. Let me first mention a couple other things here. There's a couple of verses going into chapter 17. Last verse of chapter 16 says this, You shall not plant for yourself any tree as a wooden image near the altar which you build for yourself to the Lord your God. You shall not set up a sacred pillar which the Lord your God hates. This is more of those things to which you establish some other symbol of authority or uh, some other symbol of worship anywhere near the sacred space that belongs to God. This is why the mezuzah is at the gates. This is why we set up an altar because we're worshiping the Lord and we're not to set up any other sort of wooden carved image as the heathens do anywhere near what God is doing. Let us always remember which God we're following, which commandments we are serving. It also talks about when you bring a, 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 an offering to the Lord. In the first verse of chapter 17, talking about that you shall not bring a bull or a goat or a sheep that is a, with a blemish or a defect. Everything that you give and offer to the Lord is to be right and holy and appropriate. This is another one of those things where you would make the, your own judgment in your own uh, family in your own flock or your herd and you say all right i got all these sheep over here um you know i want to use that sheep that's my prize winning sheep i'm going to eat those sheep i'm going to shear the wool of that sheep but i do need to give to the lord what belongs to him so i'm going to use my own judgment i'm going to look and say you know you got that little gimpy one over in the corner that i'm not going to use but that might be a good one to go and give to the lord because i do owe one to the lord so that's the one i'm going to judge is right to give to the lord no sorry God commands that you, what you give be a sacrifice, be something that you give of yourself, that you don't get to make that judgment. And one of those things that you have to do, it has to be without blemish or defect. And so whenever an offering was brought before the priesthood, the priesthood would reject offerings if they were not appropriate before the Lord. They were in that position to judge accordingly. And that's exactly what they did. And in fact, it was the position of the priesthood that that is what they were to do in the process of making those sacrifices and those offerings. We have another um, housekeeping instruction that's, once again, it's about judgments as well, is that if anyone, a man or a woman, has committed a wicked thing in the gates, that they shall be stoned to death, the man and the woman. This is such as an abomination that if they committed adultery. I'm reading now from uh, verse 5 of chapter 17. Verse 6 then says this, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put on the, to death on the testimony of one witness. And verse 7, the hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterwards, then the hands of the people, so that you cast away and put away the evil that is among you. Once again, we're talking about these judgments. We're talking about the execution of a punishment that is determined by judges and judgment. Specifically says, testimony of two or three witnesses. One witness was never enough to establish truth if somebody committed a certain sin. 
I love pointing out the parallel in John chapter 8, where this is the time in which the Messiah referenced this verse, but did so in the most sly and subtle way possible. If you remember the story, the people who were there in the temple, they brought a woman before the Messiah to test him. And they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Okay, she was caught in the act of adultery. We know the Torah. You're to cast away, put away the evil out from among your midst. So if she's committed adultery, if truth can be established that she committed adultery, then she is to be put to death. There's a couple of procedures here that you've got to remember that, uh, that are not being followed in addition to this. Because there's another verse in Leviticus uh, 20, verse 10, that says that um, if somebody is caught in the act of adultery, that both the both people who are committing the adultery are to be put to death. So the natural question the Messiah is asking him amongst himself, if these men are truly trying to follow Torah and testing Yeshua on whether he knows the law, natural question would be, where's the other person? Where is the other person that was committing adultery with this woman? Because when it comes to stoning somebody because of adultery, there are two that must die according to Torah. Why is there just the one woman? There's also this verse that I just read in Deuteronomy 17 that says, hands of the witnesses cast the first stone. So who saw it? Who spotted them? Who caught the woman in the act of adultery? So the Messiah, with his amazing uh, knowledge and truth that he has, all he had to do was ask, uh, say one thing and address both of these verses. And he says, those without sin cast the first stone. Because one, it asked, where, one, where are the witnesses? Who is the one who is standing up and saying she committed the adultery? They are the witness. How many witnesses do we have? Do we have at least two? There would be the ones that cast the first stone. And then those without sin. Not just any sin, not with, uh, not with uh, common sin. No, the same sin. The one who committed the same sin she's being accused of. Because obviously the, the deeper um, interpretations and theories of this woman was that this was a temple harlot and all of the people who, all of the leadership that is there, that they too had probably committed the same sin with the same woman at various other times. If they did, they were deserving to be stoned with her and along with her. So in one phrase, the Messiah very easily took care of this particular matter of justice. The woman was brought before him, and she was not stoned. Truth was not established, and there were no witnesses, hands of witnesses, to put her to death. So she was let free. This is the perfect interpretation, the way the Messiah administered the justice in this situation. Justly and righteously, just as the Torah states. This is why the Messiah... He spoke as if he had authority over the scripture, as I described in the end of Matthew chapter 7. And I believe he sp it sounded like the Messiah spoke with authority when he taught Torah because he was the author of the Torah. That's kind of what establishes authority is if you have authorship of the words that are, be spoke that are being spoken. So that is what I believe the Messiah and, and how the testimony of the Messiah and the stories in the New Testament connect right back to our passage here in Deuteronomy 17. In Deuteronomy uh, 17 verse 8, this is where it now goes back to this establishment of the priesthood as those that do the righteous judgment. Verse 8, if a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt or for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, 
Then you shall arise and go up to the place where the Lord your God chooses. That would be Jerusalem, or that would be the where the temple was established with the uh, Kohanim, the priests that served the Lord. You shall go there, and you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days, and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you a sentence of judgment. You shall do so according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to to the judgment which they tell you you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Now, the man who acts presumptively, presumptuously, and will not heed to the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or to the judge, that man shall die. So you shall put away the evil from Israel and all the people shall hear and fear and no longer act presumptuously. This is where the people, if you ever got to the point where they didn't like the judgment that was being taken to the judge who is in their gates, in their walled cities. If there's a matter of what punishment one should have, what judgment should be made, whether somebody is truly guilty of bloodshed or not, they were to take the matter, raise it up, elevate it to the Supreme Court, so to speak, and go to Jerusalem and ask the judge there. After you go there to make that judgment, whatever they say, that's the law. That's what goes. You don't get to, there's no other sources uh, to appeal to. There's no other uh, appeals. You're not going through any other appellate courts or anything like that. You go to the, straight to the top, and what they say, we're done. We're not, the matter's not going to be uh, discussed any further. And that was the judgment that was then to be rendered. Now, if you got two people that are arguing and bickering over something, about whether something is one way or another, and then you are sitting there trying to appeal to better judgment, to, to uh, more familiar judgment. And if you, you get to the point to where it's like, we can't establish a judgment here, so we got to go to Jerusalem. Well, you know what? That would be pretty fearful for the two parties to go to Jerusalem instead. Because if they say it's one and not the other, then you got to live with it. The better piece of counsel in all situations between judgments amongst brethren, is for those to work it out amongst themselves. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31, Paul says this, he says, Judge yourselves and be chastened by the Lord to not be condemned with the, with the world. What he's saying there is basically, judge yourselves first. Figure this out. You don't want to take your matter before the almighty creator of heaven and earth, because when he makes a judgment, you might just get judged with the rest of the world as one who does not use righteousness in the course of your judgments. See, because we've all been given this instruction. We've all been given the law for us to live by and to follow. And if we can't work out these judgments uh, between ourselves and amongst the judges that have been established here, there should be a great amount of fear and trepidation to go before the Lord and the ultimate judgment and authority to make a decision. I would recommend that we learn to use righteousness, righteous judgment, and a little bit of humility and peace and the desire to be at peace with one another before we ever get to that point. This is another one of those parts of Scripture where I, I believe what is stated here is not as much as this is the procedure that you should always do, but more so as this should scare the heck out of you 
to have to get to this point and you should probably work it out beforehand. We'll have the same type of uh, judgment when you're talking about a rebellious son where it says that you're supposed to take a rebellious son, take him to the elders of the city, and they're going to stone him at the edge of the city. No, the, the rebellious son should probably, because that fear is set in motion, we should probably never get to that point. The rebellious son should probably repent and start obeying his parents before you ever get to that point. I actually think this passage is similarly uh, given in the sense we shouldn't be getting to this point. And the whole thing is goes all the way back to you individually and say, stop acting presumptuously as to what is the right judgment or to think that you did everything right or did everything according to uh, scripture or to the law or to the Torah. No, see, we have a tendency to sin. We have a tendency to make mistakes and not follow what God has said. And so what we have here is we do have the establishment of the priests being the ones who make this judgment. Now, why? Why are the priests there to make the judgment? Remember, the priests were set aside from the rest of the children of Israel. They were not given an inheritance of land. Instead, they were given basically the Lord's portion, whatever was given to the Lord, they were able to partake of that. And the priests had a very difficult job of making sure that all boundaries and order were established when it came to the service of the tabernacle. Remember the thing that we watched a couple of sons of Aaron walk in, give strange fire, and they died because of it? Yeah, those guys know how to administer order and just judgment in the right and appropriate way. They need to become pretty familiar with the law. Otherwise, they should probably not be in the business that involves life or death and maintaining the boundaries between a holy God and an unholy people. Priests were intimately aware of the law and the knowledge of the commandments and the instructions. Malachi 2, 7 says that the priests keep the knowledge of the law for the law is in their mouth. That the law is put into them so that when they speak that a priest, if they were right and not a corrupt priest, what they spoke was the law of God. It was what was in them. It was filled that all the knowledge was filled. And so that they were the ones who could give righteous judgment because of their familiarity with the law. I also remind you as well, Moses was a Levite. He was the first amongst the children of Israel who were making these judgments. And so it was right for him to make good judgments. Once again, it goes right back to the individual. We're talking about, you know, establishing uh, order and courts and laws and judgments. The council goes all the way back to every single individual person that reads this scripture, that hears these words. Every single person must remember, do not act presumptuously to presume that you know what is right and appropriate. That's why it's not good for man to be alone. That we should have our fellow brethren, that we are able to discuss amongst these, these things amongst themselves, ourselves, that we should work these things out, work out these disagreements, and not always be having to go to a judge for judgments that are needing to weigh one way or the other. God is establishing these judges in place for these things to, to be worked out, for there to not be conflict within the kingdom that God is established. These judges were meant to kind of rule over the people. That in theory, if all of these things are set up, man, you got a great rule of law. Anytime you got an issue with the, with the brother, you could go to a judge that's in your gates, your city. You wouldn't have to go too far. If you 
God forbid you have something that's too difficult to deal with, well, then you've got to go to Jerusalem that you're supposed to go to three times a year, and then it gets solved there, and we're all done. Uh, we, we have law and order, and what, what else would we need if this is the kingdom that was established? Well, unfortunately, the people, this was not good enough for the people of Israel. We know that they instead, they wanted to have more of a kingdom that was similar to other nations and things that have, was more like a monarchy and with a king or something. God knew this. And God used Moses, and he continued in the rest of chapter 17 to start to describe this situation by which the children of Israel, that judges would not be enough for the children of Israel. It says this, when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess it and to dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that were around me. Verse 15, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren. You shall set a king over you. You shall not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause people, the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, let his heart, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. And it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. I love this when, uh, God is, uh, when God is commanding this prophetic thing and it says, when you come into the land and go to possess it and you will say, I want a king. Children of Israel, like we've already established here and I described the, the system by which we would have some judges. We don't need a king if that system works. But the people are going to grow restless and they say, well, no, we want a king. Those nations over there, they got a king, we got somebody that we, we got a we got a hood ornament for our kingdom that has a beautiful crown and sits on a throne and shows our power and our might of our kingdom. Okay. I I, I guess I can kind of understand the, the desire for that, and I guess the Lord can can understand that as well. So he gives them some laws and some instructions when you set that king. That king is also supposed to follow righteous judgment. He is supposed to be a righteous king. He's supposed to be a follower of the Lord. He is not supposed to multiply gold and silver. Because once you go into that position of authority, man, when you get to make those laws and those decisions and judge accordingly to one thing or another, man, you can judge and you can command yourself to become rich. And you can command yourself to have multiple wives. And it's like, because you make the law, right? This is also why in, in the his history of uh, the world, pure democracies don't last very long. Because soon as the majority of people get to make all the decisions for the rest of everybody else, and you get to decide and say, well, we get to pick all the laws. Okay, so what you do is the majority makes a law that, that uh, benefits the majority. The majority gets to make a vote and make a law that we get more money, that we get to take more money from the poor people, that we get to take more of the land, and we get more benefits because we're in the majority. We make all the rules. And no pure democracy ever lasts, you know, further than a, than a kid's clubhouse, you know, voting whether girls are going to be allowed in the club or something like that. 
No, those sort of things don't work because they are corrupt, because they are not righteous and right or appropriate. The king, when he's established, it says it must be from one of the brethren. A brother can be, and don't put a foreigner over you, but it doesn't say that it's a Levite. Now, it might make sense that a Levite would be maybe be made the king. It's, it's possible because they would have all the knowledge of the law and hopefully they would act righteously and appropriately. However, the priests had a particular job to do. So instead, the scepter would fall to another one of the kinsmen of the children of Israel, to, the tri- to one of the tribes. And so there would be leadership established. But the problem is, is the question would be, Do they follow the law of God? Do they have the knowledge of all of the Torah and what righteousness is according to the law of Moses? Good question. So let's do this. If you ever establish a king, they are going to write a copy of the law. They're going to have a book in their possession at all times so that they might read and know what is in the law. They're not just to make any law or write any book. No, they're to copy it from the book That is the same one that the priests and the Levites use. The same one. We don't get to write our own book or our own version or our own translation to sort of tweak or change the laws a little bit. No, we're going to follow the same one that the Levites and the priests use. And that is going to be the one that they use and they live by. And when they render judgment, they'll go and they'll refer back to that book of the law. This is where we get the term Deuteronomy, which means second law, which literally means a copy of the law. And this was the book that the kings were supposed to have in their possession. It's the same thing that would be great in our country, in the United States, that if there was a even a publicized uh, uh, procedure by which any time a leader is, is elected to the United States of America, here's what they do. They take the Constitution and they take a blank piece of paper and they have to write and they have to copy every word, word for word of the Constitution. That way they have their own copy of the Constitution. Now, of course, I'm being a little facetious. We do have Xerox machines in this world now. That they have their own copy of the Constitution so that they have it. It should be with them at all times. It should be by the bedside. It should be in their pocket. It should be what they use. And there's never any other law that they are using to make any determinations or judgments. It's the same sort of procedure that we do sometimes that is good for us to help us to remember something, to write it down. How many times, uh, I know a lot of people, they have a, a pen and a notebook right by their bedside, that when you can't go to sleep, you can't fall asleep, and you've got something in your brain that you've got you to get out of your brain. Sometimes people sit up, they write it down, then they can turn out the light, and then they can go to bed. And that act of writing it down actually causes it to come, it kind of enters into your heart, your soul, your spirit. You, you retain it better if you write it down. If you actually, if your body performs an action in the process of remembering it. This is exactly what needed to happen whenever a king was being established. They had to know the law. This is what should be if any there's any elected official whatsoever. They have to know the law. Whatever the tool is, and maybe it's copying it, writing it down, they need to know because they themselves have to perform righteous judgment in all things, in all cases. That's what this whole portion is about is about making righteous judgments, about establishing rule and authority over uh, that is according to the Lord over this kingdom that is being established. This is the very important thing. As we continue on into our passage, uh, start bringing out some of these details here. In chapter 18, we talk once again about the priests and the Levites and the portion and the inheritance and who they are. 
and that they these are the people that you're supposed to go to for righteous judgment. And we talk about that they're within the gates and they have their own places to live, though they don't have an inheritance of land that comes from the Lord. In verse 9 of chapter 18, it says that when you come into the land, you shall not learn or follow any of the abominations of the nations. And it's talking about not following anyone who practices witchcraft, a soothsayer, or uh, who interprets calls from the dead, or mediums, or a, or a spiritualist, or any of these things. These are abominations according to God. And it says here at the end of verse 14, it says this, because, uh, let me just read verse 14. For these nations which you dispossess listened to soothsayers and diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Okay, very interesting here. God is not disputing the fact that there are diviners and there are soothsayers. These people, there's mediums. They exist. They're not just all these, this false, they're, they're, there's an aspect of realism to what they do. It's not supposed to be anything that is associated with God or the believers of God should have nothing to do with those things. Because God has not established them to be your source of counsel. Because if you think about it, look, if you've got any kind of issue with your life or decisions you need to make in life, uh, what job you should start, where you should move to, any of those things, there's a whole host of people you could go to to try and get an answer from. You can talk to your brethren. You can talk to a family member. You can talk to somebody who's experienced, who's been through it. You can go talk to a judge who's wise and who has a great amount of counsel. You can go to talk to anybody who has the potential to give you an answer because of all the knowledge of that a, either a wise elderly person, a sage would have, whatever. You can also go to a fortune teller if you want to, and they'll give you an answer on which job you should choose. Or you go to a palm reader or some other diviner that will come up with any kind of matter of way to give you an answer to, for you to determine a judgment of something. They're out there if you want to. But God has not established that for us. For the people of God, for the children of Israel, you are not to go to them to receive your counsel or any answers that you are seeking or any judgments you are looking for. We already established that. Look, we're going to have judges. You're going to have a king later on in life. By the way, I also wanted to point out, God, is. this is a fulfillment of prophecy. If you ever want to see prophecy fulfilled, Right here, real easy. Look down the spine of your Bible. If you tab your Bible like I do, you can clearly see that judges were established after the kingdom was conquered by Joshua. And then after the prophet Samuel, we then have kings that were established. And so God is, is fulfilling prophecy here. Right here in the scripture, prophecy fulfilled because the history of Israel followed the establishment of judges, then the establishment of kings. Prophecy fulfilled. But when it comes to the way that this is God saying, this is appropriate before me because I'm giving you this instruction, these wicked customs of the nations is not appropriate for you to do. We don't have a book of, of fortune tellers in the Bible that were established for Israel to go to to seek counsel. It is not appropriate. It is an abomination to the Lord, and we should have nothing to do with them as believers of God. If you do want, now here's the thing, we are motivated, I guess, as human beings by things that are, that are, are fanciful, that are miraculous in nature, that things that, we, that are, that can't be explained. And I think God knows that, that we, we are a people seeking after miracles. And we're, and, and we're enticed by them and we're, and we're motivated by them. And so you might think that going to a magician would be the thing that would really motivate us. You know, I understand the entertainment value and factor of it, but the Lord knows this too. 
So you know the next thing that God actually says immediately after that he's not going to appoint soothsayers and diviners for us? He is going to send a prophet into our midst. A prophet like unto Moses. You're talking about, the, the, these are these things where it's like, we, we want, you know, we, we want a judge, but a judge isn't enough, we want a king. Well, maybe a king's not enough, so we want a magician to come and tell us and wow us. And then we need, like, prophets of God to come and to lead it. God knows this, that this is the progression of what we will want to follow, or what is, I should say, compelling for us to follow. So God gives us the most compelling thing to give to us, for us to follow and to listen to the judgments of. And it's the prophecy of the prophet like unto Moses. Let me read here. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all that you desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good, and I will raise for them a prophet like you from among your brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall I, we know the word of the Lord has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord. And if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously and you shall not be afraid of him. All right. So there's a judgment to be had that we can't just have any prophet show up and suddenly he's a prophet of God because if what he says doesn't come to pass, he is not of the Lord. Okay, so we're, we're just talking about another diviner, another somebody else who practices witchcraft and, and, and deception and all those things. Yeah, we've set those aside. Those are abominations. But there's a prophecy that God will send a prophet. That his word, the word of God will be in him. It will be his words and he will carry his name, God's name. And when he speaks, it will be required of you to follow. This is the prophecy of the Messiah. Look, if, you, if you're enticed by, by magicians, everybody kind of loves a magic show, illusionists that do it for the sake of entertainment, not that anybody can actually do some of those things. Or if you're enticed by, all, by miracles or, or all these sort of things, and you might think, it's like, Lord, I need, a, I need a bigger, better sign than what I can get from this physical world here. And so you might go after something that's fanciful and fortune tellers or whatever. What is more incredible than the very... Than the very ever living God who created the earth, walking amongst us on this earth, performing miracles and speaking words. There is nothing more amazing or fanciful or fantastic than that. And God has given that to us. I mean, when we look and we hear and we have the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah, that is the most amazing thing that can ever happen to us in our world. That is the most compelling voice to ever follow or to listen to or to obey. When he speaks, we should listen. Everybody else you can be skeptical of, sure. Be skeptical of a judge who might be corrupt. Be skeptical of a king who forgot to read the law of the book. Be skeptical of all diviners and witchcraft and all those sort of things. Absolutely be skeptical of that stuff right there. But when you then have the most incredible thing of God walking amongst us on this earth in the flesh, 
There is no greater righteousness on this earth. There is no greater appropriate judge on this earth. I already described it, that the, 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 the Messiah, he made one statement and it silenced the whole crowd of people who were trying to pass presumptive judgment upon a woman. And he made one sentence and suddenly they just thought they were just like, and they just walked away. What an amazing power that is. And you're talking about a righteous judge, a judgment. He's not going to waste your time. He's going to make his judgment and the people are going to follow. That is a judge worth following. That is a king worth following. That is a righteous person who I desire to be in covenant with. I want him making of all judgments in my life. And that should be our testimony. That he is the one that we confess our heart to. He is the one that we, that, that we confess to our sins, our mistakes. This is what happened. Lord, this is what this person happened. Render a judgment for me so that then I may live. And whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. And you know you're going to get the most righteous answer that you will not get from anywhere else in the world. And no other judge or king can give you that righteous of an answer. There are wise men in this world that are worth receiving counsel from, but there is nothing greater than the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah in our lives. And that is the, that, that's, the, that's the cherry on top of this entire teaching of establishing judges and judgments for us to be in the kingdom of God. There is no, I mean, that's it. There's, there is no more higher authority that we could possibly appeal to to think that we can get a righteous judgment somewhere else. Absolutely not. And that's the prophet. That's the prophecy that we have here in Deuteronomy chapter 18. The prophecy of the, of the Messiah himself coming to this earth. And what an amazing thing it is. It's an honor. It's a privilege to be, to have that testimony, to be of the people of God and to follow that judgment and that instruction. But it was what, my heart is to encourage all people that, look, we, we, can, we can talk about the Torah here and we can talk about the establishment of that. The problem is, is there's going to be still people and still human nature that will want more, that will need more, that will need answers, that will have questions. And at some point in all places, whether you are in a position of authority as some sort of judge who gives counsel as a pastor or a teacher or somebody else who works in ministry, <clears throat> look, there's going to be some things that – you're not going to have an answer to, and it's like you're going to have to turn back to them. It's like, you know what? You're going to have to go to the Lord on that one. That's going to be Yeshua that is going to give you the answer you need and that you are seeking in this particular matter. And that's why we encourage the people to have that testimony and that relationship with Yeshua of Nazareth. Now, that is where basically the teaching as far as uh, the establishment of judges or leaders among you uh, ends. Our Torah portion does continue through uh, chapter 19 and through uh, chapter 20 and some of chapter 21 that continues to simply talk about the other things that govern us as a people. That when you have people, we have the establishment of the cities of refuge. That when you have somebody who commits manslaughter, that they have an, a place to, to uh, go to so that they might live safely and securely. Because there was a law, the law of the blood avenger, that if you killed somebody, accidentally or not, that it was the family member and the kin who had the right to then kill you back because of what you took from them whether it was an accident or not. Now, the cities of refuge were established for you to go and you could live safely and securely. They couldn't go and get you and, and, and cause punishment to you until the death of the high priest. And there was a, a, a statute of limitations, so to speak, 
that allowed for you to, if you accidentally killed somebody, you didn't mean to do it, but it is a type, it is a sin, and that there is punishment that it can come to you, you have a way to, uh, to live by it. However, it does say very specifically in, cha- in verse 11 of chapter 19, if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him, and strikes him mortally so that he dies, and he flees to the city of refuge to think that he could get away. No, on the establishment of two or three witnesses, that it is they can go into that city of refuge and haul his carcass out for premeditated first-degree murder so that he might be put to death by the law of the blood avenger and that that is how justice was administered. So this idea of these cities of refuge where it was like, oh, you could commit a crime and then go run away. No, it's not that simple whenever you see the cities of refuge here and the commandments about them here in the Torah. If somebody committed murder... Man, you, were, you were to find them and you were to punish them swiftly so that you were to cast out and cut off the abominations that are among you, among your people. Even if the dude is offering a sacrifice to the Lord and he's giving a, a sacrifice, no, he is due punishment because of the sins that he has committed. And you're to haul him away even from the tabernacle and from the temple and from the altar if he is due that judgment. This is, goes back to, again, what is righteous judgment for somebody who premeditatedly lies in wait to kill his brother because he hates them has no place in the kingdom of God. Simply doesn't. It's a warning for us to never let hate breed within us, to hate for one another that we would possibly think that we would ever do such a thing to someone. Once again, completely contrary to the law of God. It talks about um, the law, laws concerning witnesses. My time is running short, so I don't have the time to go into some of these other situations. It talks about also when you go, um, it, laws concerning when you go to warfare, when you offer peace to a city that you're actually going to conquer. There are righteous, appropriate things to do. Even if you're a conquering kingdom with a huge army and you're just going to wipe a city off the face of the earth who has no hope to defend, there is still a righteous way of going about every action that you do, every action that you take. There is righteousness to be had in all of those judgments. And finally, in the first part of chapter 21 through verse 9, it talks about an unsolved murder that's between cities that we don't even know what uh, if a the murder is taking place we don't know which city or which person who committed this sin but there was a procedure and even a sacrifice that is made between the leaders and the elders of the city to ensure that atonement has been made for those that did commit that sin they're to take a heifer out to the valley where the murder took place and they're to break its neck and to make a an oath basically saying that there be atonement upon this sin so even sins that we don't even know how they happened, but we know a sin has been committed. We don't know who did it. There's no witnesses. There's no evidence. We don't know. There is still procedures and righteous judgment to be had by the Lord to provide atonement for the people. Because that's what happens when sin walks among us. Is that it actually, it, 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 it's, like a, it's like a festering wound. It's a cancer that is among us that can cause more corruption it causes harm to even the people who are in a city or in a congregation or in a kingdom when sin walks among among us that's why we need atonement that's why we need a covering from the most high god so that there might not be any of those things among the kingdom of god so that we may, may live righteously and uprightly before him 
This is the whole point of this covenant, that God is establishing this covenant on how the kingdom of God is to behave and to operate with one another. And sin is not something that God has any fellowship with. So we must remove the sin from us. We must make judgments. We, should, we, we must put matters to rest and put issues to bed so that there is no strife that continues or festers because of one issue or another. If somebody is sinned and they're guilty of punishment and punishment by death, put them to death and you move on. And not let the sin fester to continue to cause more harm, more corruption, and more sin to arise amongst the kingdom of God. Now, this is the righteous kingdom of God. This is how this operates. You get rid of those things, and we all sit here wonderfully and happily blessed with what the Lord has given to us. Of course, unfortunately, with corruption of men, of kings and judges, we're not there yet. We're not there to this kingdom. We can see this kingdom here, and we can say, man, I want to live in that kingdom. I want to live with those judges. I want to have that kind of king. I'd like to have, we would all like to live in this kind of kingdom. It's uh, an enticement to us that we should pray for the kingdom to come very soon. That's one of the ways that we're supposed to pray to the Lord as the Messiah taught us, of course. This is a kingdom worth living in. It's a kingdom worth fighting for. It's a kingdom worth pursuing and desiring to follow what God has said so that we might all live in peace in a kingdom like this. We're not there yet. We're not living in the kingdom, not when we're in the United States of America with the news cycle we have and not in the whole rest of the world where there's nothing short of sin, corruption, and pure iniquity in some places. Let's continue to submit to the Lord, to the Messiah, who is the righteous judge, for him to lead us in all things, in all decisions. Yes, we have to work sometimes with other men and we have to live in this world and figure out how to make ends meet sometimes. But let us never forget the kingdom of God that is possible If we follow the Lord and we continue to submit to his will, to his judgments in all things in our lives. What a great day that kingdom. If we live in that kingdom, when we get there, what a great day that will be. And um, we will learn from the Messiah. He is the ultimate Torah teacher, much better than me. And he is the ultimate king, far greater than any king that ever walked this earth. And what a great day that would be. Amen. All right. Let us pray. Heavenly Father. We come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for this teaching and this instruction on Shoftim, on the judgment of judges, Lord, and the establishment of authority, Lord. Father, we submit to you in all authority, in all judgments in our lives, Lord. Father, you are a righteous judge. Father, you are righteousness. You are the author and finisher of the word of God, of our faith, Lord. And Father, as we do our best, Lord, to follow the commandments of God, to uh, treat each other rightly and appropriately, Father, I pray that you would just continue to have mercy and grace upon us for all the mistakes that we made, that we make. Father, teach us to make teshuvah, repentance, and restoration back to you, Father, for any mistake that we make, Father. May we repay any wrongs that we do to our brother, Father. May we do so in, with righteousness, and with justice, Lord, in everything that we do. Father, may we have righteous judgment as our father Abraham did, Lord, as you even went to him for counsel, Lord. Father, I pray that we might have even just an ounce of that, Lord, and humility in our lives to make those judgments amongst one another, to minister to one another, to help one another, Lord, as we walk uprightly before you and as we continue to pursue your kingdom on this earth. So, Father, we love you, bless you, and thank you on this Sabbath day for all of these things, this teaching and this instruction. We pray all of these things in your Son, Yeshua's name. Amen. Now, the blessing after the Torah. 
Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet V'chai Olam Natah B'tocheinu Baruch Adonai Nonten HaTorah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the sun has set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home. Families will gather all around singing Shabbat. Shalom, everybody sing. Shalom. Put a smile upon your face He's got the whole world in his hands So obey his commands And you will know peace Shalom